We are in the middle of, uh, of our, our series, Advent. Now, uh, Advent is this Latin word that uh, comes from the Latin word that means arrival or the coming of something. So more fully, for the believer, uh, for the church, this is something that the, the church gathered has been kind of leaning into for a couple millennia now, uh, where we've been considering as we look back on Christ's first coming, uh, we've looked back and we've worshipped, we've looked back and we've uh, recollected, we've looked back and we've remembered what the implications of Christ's coming is for the believer, that God kept his promise made way back in Genesis 3, that he would send one who would crush the head of the serpent, he would make a way for God's people to be ushered near to him again. Uh, and so we look back and we remember that and it, it fuels us and it, it reminds us. And so we've been kind of stepping through some candles that are supposed to be those visual reminders and uh, we've been preaching messages as we look back and and then also Advent has this other side of the blade that uh, we, we kind of look back and then it moves us forward, where we, we look forward to God's uh, second coming in the Son uh, to, the, to one day be. And so we look forward and we remember uh, with just great anticipation, we join with our uh, saints of old that longed for the day that God would send his son. Now we are on this side of the uh, Christmas story. So we know he did, right? But now we join with them in this anticipation, this hoping, and this, uh, this angst that we look forward to the day that Christ will come. And then all the stuff that Christmas sees and kind of promises will be made fully realized and satisfied in a person right, in Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of what we're doing through, uh, through this, these weeks leading up to Christmas is we're looking back and then we're, we're letting that to fuel our attention forward as we hope and long for the day that Christ uh, will come. And this is so important for the, for the church to kind of lean and press into because right now we are on like the crosshairs of like this bombardment of, uh, of a different Christmas message, right, of a commercialized uh, kind of... Um, fantastical idea of Christmas that, uh, that all of the things that you're truly longing for uh, will be awaiting you on Christmas morning, wrapped up, uh, you know, tied up and stuck in socks, hanging from your mantle, right? That, that, that that's what Christmas is truly about. And, and, and just frankly, we buy into this idea of Christmas, right? That Christmas is about accumulating some stuff rather than experiencing a person. Uh, and we buy in. I mean, some of you have went all Griswold on your house, right? I mean, we've seen it. I, I tried. I failed miserably. Uh, but, uh, but listen, we've, uh, I mean, some of you, that's, that's your thing. Like, your house is glowing. You believe that you're going to get the most satisfaction out of this season if you one-up your neighbor, right? Like, that's the thing. So for many of us, in some rendition of this, we're hoping for that Red Rider BB gun. Right, that like that this is going to be the year that all the thing that I'm like kind of anchoring to is going to show up and it's going to be there. Some of you, that's uh, man, some of you, that's just some peace in your home, right? You've got all of your in-laws that you've invited in, and you think that because you're going to share a meal and a dirty Santa gift, that all is going to be right. right? Well, here's what I want to make sure doesn't happen. In full disclosure, I was bumping Mariah Carey Christmas album on the way into church this morning, okay? Like, the Stouts are leaning into this. We've done the Christmas cookie uh, fiasco. We've, you know, we've decked the halls inside the house. I want to disclaimer that. Uh, and, and we're all into Christmas. Like, I, I, I've got a Christmas list, and I'm checking it twice, all right? Uh, making sure that Mama was nice, all right? And so, uh, you know, that's, that's just saying. Just so, full disclosure, I, I'm in on this. But what I want to make sure that doesn't happen is that we get so caught up in the lights, right? So caught up in the wrapping paper and then going to the Grand Ole Opry and, and seeing the lights at the Opryland Hotel and, and so caught up in the stuff of Christmas that we miss the substance of it, right? So caught up that with, with, the, with all the festivities of the holiday that we miss the point of the holiday, 
right, the thing that we truly should be anchored to. Because the day's coming, just so you know, all this is going to give way, right? It always does. Like the lights come down, all the hard work you put into it comes down. Uh, man, the, the, the stockings will go away. The wrapping paper will be shoved into trash bags and sent on its way. All the toys, just so you guys know, like the new iPhone, there's going to be a day. You're going to drop it, bust it, break it, and the shine's going to rub off this season. And then what? Then what? Then what are we going to do? You see, there's going to be a day when that Christmas tree you've, you've worked so hard on is going to shake its needles all over your floor, and you're going to be cursing it as you throw it out in the front yard, right? And, and the family you've spent all this time preparing for and hoping that all things will work out for good for your family, they're going to leave, and you're going to be reminded why you don't love your mother-in-law so much, right? Like, this is going to happen. It all gives way. Why? Because it's just a shadow, all the stuff of Christmas is only a shadow of a truer, greater reality that is for those who are in Christ, a, a truth that will not fade. And that's what we want to consider this morning as we dive into this text, that there is a joy offered for the believer, a joy that is unfading, a joy that isn't circumstantial, as Brad talked about while he led. It's not a circumstantial joy, but it's a true and a steady joy. It's a, it's a joy that the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says is this anchor, right, this anchor behind the veil, this this anchor that, that is immovable and will remain far beyond the day that all of our Christmas decorations find their way back in the attic. All right, so that's what I want to consider this morning. What is this joy offered for the believer this morning, for uh, the, the church this morning? And I want to look at the narrative of the birth of Jesus and see where we find that joy, okay? And so with that being said, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, we're going to dive in. It says, this is, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, underlying glory, shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And it goes on. Uh, it, but that's right. We're going to stop here, and I'm going to continue 15 through 20 later in the passage. But, you know, when, uh, when we dive into this text, we see this birth announcement playing out. Right now, my wife and I, when we uh, were expecting um, our daughter Lottie, uh, we, we had this thing called a gender reveal. Right now, you know, some of you guys are like, oh, whimper snapper, why in the world he waste his time with that? Right? Like, we didn't do those in our day. We just said, hey, mom, dad, it's a boy. All right? Like, that's pretty common back in this day, too. They didn't have all the technology and things. They didn't have, like, typically an angel of the Lord didn't come and say, hey, it's a boy. Right? That didn't happen. That wasn't normal. So, uh, there, you know, gender reveals weren't the norm of the day. Now, you ask, why did you do one then? You know, why, why would you waste your time? Mama wanted one. She was pregnant, and I wasn't arguing, okay? And so, uh, and all the guys said, amen, right? Uh, and, and here's the deal, though. But back then, they, it was common to send out birth announcements that Mary is having a boy. Now, here's the thing. We sent out hundreds of them. And you would think in, a, in a, an event like this, the most, uh, the most, like the greatest event in all of history, right, the most fantastic event that the king of glory stepped out 
of heaven, that he stooped to put on flesh to dwell among men, this would warrant some invite cards going out, right? Like that this would that this announcement would be brought to man the kings and the governors of the day. Like at least maybe you would think uh, the high priest of the temple there in Bethlehem. I was reading uh, late last night even that one of the ways I heard this um, this story kind of uh, kind of I guess cast was they flipped it and said if you were an, an angel tasked with taking the message of the Messiah King coming into human form uh, to ransom a people back to God. Who would you tell? None of us would probably say the shepherds. Right now, now all of us in the room would say, man, uh, you know, like, doesn't Psalm 23 say the Lord is my shepherd? Right? Like, you know, did you just blaspheme? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of us would say, well, what about King David? He was a shepherd, right? Yes. And here's what I want you to understand. If you were to strap yourself into the sandals, right, of a first century Jew, if you were to get into the context of this passage, you too would understand uh, why these men out there on that, uh, that lonely hillside were the last expected people to have received this, this, uh, this birth announcement. This was the worldview surrounding the shepherds during this time. Based on their occupation, uh, just kind of give you a picture Based on their occupation, uh, they spent all their time handling sheep. If you didn't understand, that's what a shepherd is. Uh, so they watch over sheep. They take care of sheep. And I don't know if you know, but sheep are ugly, messy critters, okay? Uh, they're not cute and fluffy like the animals we give our kids. They, they look like they got the mange, like they're awful-looking things. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's a, it's, so it's a messy job, right? And they were considered unclean, unclean. They were not allowed. This is where this uh, kind of plays out. Uh, they weren't allowed then to come into the temple to make atonement for their sin. Like, they were not even allowed, no matter what R.C. wants, like, he would bar the doors. You're not getting in here, bro. Right? Now, that's countercultural to most church statistics today, but, like, back then, you weren't allowed. You were looking at ceremonially unclean. You were even so suspect that, that if you were a shepherd, your testimony could not be uh, considered in a court of law. You couldn't hold a public office. They were looked at as nomadic. I mean, the lowly, the despised, the outcast, the social rejects of the day. This is what the shepherd was. And no matter how, uh, how much our cute nativity scenes seem to redeem the picture of a, uh, of a shepherd, the reality is the shepherd would, would have been the least likely to have received a message that the king of glory was stepping out of glory to come and to dwell among his people. Yet when the glorious heralding of the gospel fractured the silence of that night we sing about so much, it didn't go to the pious, the most uh, devout, it didn't go to the polished individual. Who did it go to? A group of motley shepherds. But why? Well, isn't this what God's always been about? Isn't it true of God that he often uses those who are least qualified to do the most extraordinary things? I mean, think about it. He changed the world with some fishermen. Right, some of you are fishermen, and you're like, bro? <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that God's M.O.? Like, he, he tends to do things like that. Now, look at what Paul says. He writes to a church uh, in Corinth, a church that was full of people that thought very highly of themselves. Like, these were some people that thought they had it all together. The Corinthian church. Look what he says, Paul, as he's writing about this, 
uh, characteristic of the Lord. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. And I want to ask you in the rooms this morning to consider your calling. Consider the moment of your salvation. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And why does he do it? He said, God chose what is low and despised the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What Paul wants us to understand, the reason the gospel went to the shepherds, the reason this good news of great joy pierced the night, that night on that random hillside to a bunch of rejected social outcasted guys that wouldn't be able to step foot in church of the day is because God often uses the weaknesses of man to most glorify his son. That's the truth. This is true of God. He is most glorified when he works through the shortcomings and the weaknesses of his people. You see, the message of God, the message of the Messiah coming into the world went to those who could not come to him. So God went to them. God went to them. He met those shepherds on the hillside that night. He could have brought this message to anyone, but he makes the point, even from the birth announcement of his son Jesus, that his gospel was for all people. And I want to park on this for a moment because I think there's a, there's a lesson I think we need to press into that speaks highly to some social things that are going on in our, in our country right now. Verse 10, I want, to, I want to just draw your attention back to the scripture so you know it's not my words. It says, And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, talking to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, and you look, when you look at the original language, we're not talking about a universalist passage. This shows God's, uh, this, this, this text is missiological in nature. It shows the heartbeat of God for the nations, for all peoples. Peoples from every socioeconomic background. People from different uh, races, different tribes, different tongues people from different, with, with different skin colors and upbringings. God said, my gospel is not for the elite. You remember when, uh, when the angel came to, uh, to, to Joseph and he said, told Mary uh, as well, that, that her, she would have a boy and you will call his name Jesus. This is actually told Joseph. He said, you, she will have a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people. Save his people from their sins. You see, the point of God's heralding this gospel to these shepherds is to make the point that all people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every corner of this world are perfectly qualified, not because of their doing, but because God in his great mercy has looked out over the horizon of our planet and has seen a people that are not worthy and he's chased them down regardless. This is the true, uh, this, is a, this is a place that we can worship in this morning as we, uh, as we consider this Advent. And it's also a place, I think, where this text gets real personal for a moment. You know, have you ever felt in the room, some of you, and I love that we say this often because the reality is, is that there are a lot of different situations represented in this space. Some of you are coming off a job, uh, job loss. Some of you are coming off a, a raise or a promotion. Some of you are coming in here and you are on the pinnacle, the apex of your marital experience with your husband and wife. And some of you have found yourselves in a place of despair, and honestly, you're wringing your hands not knowing what to do. You don't even know if you're going to celebrate Christmas together this year. We have people in here that have just give, welcomed a new, uh, a new child into this world, and we've had 
those that have said goodbye. And what I think is pressing about this text, what I think is awesome about this passage is that no matter what place you, are, you find yourself this morning, I think it speaks to us. I think there is great hope in this passage. Maybe you found that there's a stain in your life that you feel has sidelined you. Like, man, if God only knew, listen to me, brother, he does. Right? If God only, if God only saw, if he was only involved or uh, intimately in tune with the conversations that I'm having behind my cell phone, that I'm having behind closed doors with my wife, make no mistake, he's there. He knows, and yet, he doesn't go to those most deserving. What does God do? He ransom a people that cannot merit, that don't stack up, that don't deserve. This is true of this, of this scripture. So this passage is for those, I think, that feel unusable in the room, but it's also, I think, for those in the room that feel pretty good about things. Like you would come in here and you say, man, I'm, I'm rocking with the Lord right now, right? Like my, my quiet time is... It's great. He's showing me things. I'm involved in some community with other like faith individuals that are holding me accountable and that are calling me out on sin and are uh, challenging me in my faith. And I know more about the Lord right now through what he's revealing to me than ever before in my, uh, in my time walking with him. Like you said, man, I feel pretty good. Well, I think this passage speaks to you as well. Look what it says in, in verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Here's the piece. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. It says, And they were filled with fear. Now, this word glory, I told you to underline that. Because when, in, in this, this is a word I think we often say and we throw around a lot in, 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 in the church. I don't think we ever really explain, and if we probably threw up five or six different options on the overhead and asked you to, we'd have a whole different gamut of answers and responses. Okay, so here's, I want to help you understand something. When we talk about glory in the Bible, it's this word for God's presence, and there's this weight with it, right? There's this, this uh, understanding of, of the fullness of who God is. This is what I think happened in that night, that these, these men uh, were, were out looking over their flock, right? Like they're, they're shepherding. They're doing the work of, of the shepherd. And in the middle of that space, the glory of God, the full weight, the full realization of who he is became manifest before him. Now, the angel says, oh, it says, and they were filled with great fear in that passage. Well, why? Well, you could say, man, that was a pretty terrifying situation. Now, you, you may not know this, um, based on my look or whatever, but I like to hunt sometimes. And, uh, and one of the things, uh, when, when, I, when I get to go in the mornings, uh, we know that this passage played out. Now, I'm going to spool something for you. It didn't happen December 25th, okay? It's probably later, but it was during a winter month. We know that based on the historical uh, timing of, God, of, of Christ's birth. But here's the thing. It happened in the winter, right? And so there's times when I go out hunt in the morning and like, you see like the, uh, the grass or this field that we get to hunt in sometimes is like covered with uh, frost. I'm trying to paint this picture for you. So go there with me, all right? Uh, the, the sky is, I mean, it's super dark. The sky is like huge. Stars, every one of them look a lot brighter. And 
because sometimes when we have to split off, I'm going with my dad, I feel pretty good when we're, like, we're in close proximity, right? I mean, if like, I mean, you, you start dreaming the worst things are after you in the middle of the night, things that don't even live around here. Like I'm like, there's a saber-toothed tiger on my back, or there's a, there's a wolf, behind, you know, you hear a twig crack and you're on high alert. But when you split off, right, man, I've got a hold of my knife and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm looking for anything. I'm like, Joker, I wish somebody would step out right now. I'm you know, I'm swinging that thing, and something's dying, all right? And, and, and I can just see this playing out for these shepherds. It's the middle of the night. They're watching over their sheep. The sheep are probably bedding down at this time, and it's, it's, it's winter. So there's even a chance that there were some, some, I think they call them kids, baby uh, uh, sheep that were born at the, around this time of year. So you could probably hear them making their sounds, and they're kind of watching over these, these sheep doing because this is their livelihood, right? The well-being of the sheep is their livelihood. And so they're on high alert. And into that serenity, in that kind of peaceful quiet where there's this high alert, bang! Gotcha. Some of your heads popped up. Angel busts onto the scene. And not just an, like, a cute angel, right, that we put on our nativity. I'm talking about the, with the full weight of who God is, the full presence of the Lord. You know, this, now it, it was an angel, right? So it wasn't God himself. But it was this reflected glory, much like what, uh, what Moses saw. And he said when he left, like he was, he was glowing, right? And he didn't look at God's face. He looked at his back. You remember that? And so th- here's this picture that, 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 that's playing out right here. This full presence of God presses in on them. And so this is where I think the fear was. Sure, maybe in the situation, but I think what the Bible's showing us here is that when the full weight of who God is, when, the God, when God's people come in contact with the presence of God, they are filled with fear because they, in that moment, are acutely aware of their shortcomings, of their failures, and how far they, uh, they, they, they fall in comparison to a holy God. And this, is, this is problematic for a lot of us because typically we, we think we got it going on when we look across the aisle. We say, like, man, I just, I, I mean, I know I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but that brother... Right? Like, I, I feel pretty good about myself in comparison to what I know is going on in their life, to the gossip that happens in the hallways. Right? Like, this is the, this is the problem. It, the, it's all relative. But when we stand before a holy God, all excuses, all self-righteousness just kind of melts. And I think this is what the shepherds realized in that moment. They knew exactly what was thought of them in society. They knew exactly uh, if they had been, uh, you know, the, the product of, of thieves, if they, if they were thieves or if they were, uh, you know, whatever was going on in their life. If they were the rough bunch that people thought they were, well, it was revealed in that moment as they stood before a holy God. You know, one of the things I love about being a student pastor is that there's a couple times a year I get to... Um, I get to go to retreats with students, and uh, I'm a 28-year-old getting to play basketball with some 12-year-olds, and so that's pretty awesome, right? Uh, in that moment, we drop the goal down to eight foot, and I let them know. I want them to feel how inferior they are in that moment, right? Because here's the thing, right? Your boy's vertically challenged. I'm not doing that with most of our high school students, so I target the little ones, right, the sixth graders. And, uh, and that's where I'll spend most of my time at camp, just dominating sixth graders, building myself up, right, so I feel really good. But then what's this, what's what's uh, play it out that maybe the um, maybe LeBron James steps out on the court. Well, it's uh, there's a lot of words I could say. <laughs> I'm doomed, right? Like I am up a creek. Uh, he's gonna let me know how how vertically challenged I am compared to him. 
how, uh, how many days I wasted when I should have been lifting weights and on a nutrition plan, how slow I am, how, uh, you know, how unathletic I am. I'm going to know all of these things in that moment. That would, let's put it back in the text. Let's say that God himself and the full weight of his glory steps in front of you. It doesn't matter how good you feel about yourself in that moment. It doesn't matter how much you've hidden of your past or how much you've kind of stored away and you've uh, kind of tucked it back and kind of dealt with it quietly. When God himself is before you, all puffed up uh, nature of, uh, you know, of mankind is just leveled. And we're exposed. This is what God's glory does. And if you take any notes, I want to show you these two things. The first one is this, that it exposes us. God's glory exposes us. When I meet him in his word, and I read uh, his character revealed on these pages, and I see where I don't match up, what's happening in that moment is God is unraveling me. And he's exposing me. But here's the great thing. See, the message of Christmas doesn't stop with exposure. The other thing the glory of God does is it replaces our exposure with joy. Now, let me show you this in the, in the text here. And the angel said to them, fear not. Kind of pause for a second. How is that even possible? He might ask. Like, you, you're in a moment where all of your sins laid out before God. He knows it all intimately. Every conversation you've had, every bad action you should never have done that you regret, all of your motivations, even the, the things that you think about that never make it out of your mouth. God knows them all, every bit of them. And you understand in that moment when he stands before you that he is holy and blemishless, spotless, and that that sin in your life that you are acutely aware of in that moment has separated you from him as vastly as those shepherds from the society that they were a part of. And when we stand before God, we, I think what we begin to see in this text is that we're not so unlike the shepherds altogether. In fact, our sin, when we stand before a holy, we don't do like this horizontal comparison, but when we start with God and we say, oh wow, look how glorious he is, look how perfect he is, look how holy he is. And the things in my life begin to kind of stand out. My failures, my sins kind of perk up a little bit. And I realize how gruesome an offense it is against the holy God. And that gruesome offense has separated me. It separated me. So how do I not fear? How do I not fear when I know that a holy God wants to pour his wrath out on my sin? Well, when you understand this next part, for behold, I bring you good news. You know what good news means? You know what gospel means? Maybe I should say it that way. Good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I think this is so big that we understand this this morning. The angel says that your fear of not measuring up, your fear of being exposed before a holy God, the fear of your past and your failure is all replaced by joy when we understand that there is good news afforded to the believer by faith. And he tells us what this message is. What is the good news? You say, okay, well, that's good because, because man, I, I'm starting to understand that I fall short of God. 
okay? I'm, get, I'm tracking with you. So, so how do I get this? How do I get this joy you guys are talking about? What this candle represents? How do I get this? Well, let's see what it says in verse 11, I believe right there. Yeah, verse 11. So, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, look at what he says, a Savior. Don't gloss over this word. I know it's something you've, you've, you're versed in, right? You've, you're well acquainted with, with Christ the Lord and this word Savior. But these words are packed. They're literally loaded with truth for us this morning when we talk about this concept of joy. You see, I've heard it said that Christmas, Christmas is an indictment before it's a delight. Here's what I think we mean by that. I'm going to say it again. Christmas is an indictment before it's a delight. You see, before you understand that there is good news afforded to the believer, there's good news that when understood, when accepted, when believed upon, produces this faith for the believer that we can latch onto that's unfading. When you understand that, before you can understand the good news, you got to understand that there is bad news. And the bad news is that we needed saving. Right, so, so when you look at your manger scene and when we look at these cute little pictures of baby Jesus, don't understand him as just a swaddled up babe, right? But this guy is wrapped up. It, this, he is an absolute warrior, mighty king that stepped out of glory with a mission to save. And I know that because of this word Christ. You see, Christ means anointed one. In its original language, in the Greek, it's, uh, and in, in the Hebrew, uh, it means set apart. It's an anointed one, right? And so the idea that's communicated here, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew it means Messiah. What, what's communicated here is that Jesus Christ, before the foundations of the world, was set apart by his Father for the purpose of redeeming a people, of saving a people, a people that needed saving, right? The bad news is that we don't merit up, right? We don't stack up. We don't deserve saving. That's the bad news. The bad news, look at me. You cannot impress God, and you won't. You can rub a hole in these, in these chairs from your perfect attendance, and it will not impress God. You can outgive everyone in this room, and it will not impress God. You know what impresses God? You know what glorifies God? You know what God looks at and is pleased with that the angels sung about there at the end in that passage? When they, when they rang out that night, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. You know what puts peace between man and God? His son. His son, Jesus. That's who he's impressed with. That's who he's pleased with. That's who is perfect. That's how we merit. So it's not in our doing. See, what the good news is, is that you can't do anything about it. But just by simply believing upon his son, Jesus, there is this salvation offered, this nearness that you're ushered into, this relationship that was fractured by sin has now been mended, reconciled by his son Jesus, by faith alone. It's by faith alone that this happens. See, the message of Christmas that we're looking at and the, and the point of Advent is that as we look back and remember, is that as we were rebelling, there was a God who was pursuing us. As we loved our sin and hated God, God was mercifully, graciously pursuing us in his son Jesus. And there was nothing you could do to, 
to waver his hand, to waver his mind. He was sending his son Jesus into the world to ransom a people, to redeem a people. This is what Matthew says in his gospel. He says, Mary will bear a son. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the good news of Christ, the good news of this this gospel that was made known to the shepherds that night is that the six-ounce swaddle baby Jesus in a horse trough was the Messiah King who set apart by the Father to save a people who were unable to save themselves. This is where this joy, this is the source of this joy. And I want to close by reading the rest of this passage and show us how this joy is not something that we just, we just absorb, but when we grab this joy, when we latch hold of this joy, this joy motivates our sending. It pushes us out. Right? So this is the, the piece of Advent. As we look back, at the reality of Christ's birth, it ought to move us forward, right? So looking back ought to move us forward in, in action. So Advent's not just a sit and remember and reflect and light candles. It's a, it's a, it's a battle cry that motivates our sinning. Let me show you in 15 through 20. It says, when the angels went away from them in the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known of. So the Lord brought them a message and says, and they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they, uh, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Look at this. Underline this. Circle this. Put this in your head. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. What did they return to? They returned to be shepherds. They went back to their everyday rhythm of their routine of life, right? They went back to being shepherds, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So where does this, how does this flesh out? How does this uh, apply today? Here's what I think. See, the shepherds received this message about this good news. They received the gospel of people who did not merit, didn't the least likely. The gospel came to them. And they immediately went and told, right? They immediately started sharing, immediately. It said they made haste. Now, they didn't stop and, and argue the theology of angels and should, is this possible? And what do angels do? And all this stuff, right? They didn't do all that. What did they do? They shared. They, they had experienced something. They didn't know all the lingo. They, these guys were uneducated. They, they, they simply knew what, what they had experienced, and they shared it. You see, I think so often we can sideline ourselves and not share the gospel and not invest in people. You know, I think the the statistics are really, really, really bad uh, of amount of Christians that actually share their faith on a regular basis. And it's, it's, I want to say it's like 2% of believers, what I I believe I've heard. 2%. And that's probably stretching it. Share their faith on a regular basis. And you know what I think? I think we do that because we think, man, I don't know. I don't know what to say. What if they confront me with a question I don't have an answer to? Well, what, what did you experience in the gospel? Right? You know what people can't argue with? Someone who has a passion for Christ and a changed life. You can't argue that. Now listen, when I, when I was first a believer, I was at U, on UT's campus there was all kinds of frat guys and homeless people and things like that. And I remember going to a McAllister's one day and having lunch shortly after my conversion. And there was a guy sitting there. Uh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. I had no idea who he was. He was way older than me. And I just went up to him and sat down. And I gave him my food and I started just sharing with him. 
He probably thought I was crazy, right? Or just got out of one, rolled out of one of these parties one night, you know, or something. But all I knew was I, I had experienced something, and it was so incredible, I couldn't keep it to myself. What happens is, I think over time, we sit in that, and we become numb to it. And so what I love about what Mary says there, or what it says of Mary there in verse 19, is it says that and she treasured up these things that had been known to her. She treasured them up, pondering them in her heart. You know what I think we, uh, motivates our, our mission? I think when, when God's people remember the, the gospel that was made known to them, the gospel of, I didn't earn this, the gospel of, I didn't merit this, the gospel of, I can't work for this, but yet, while I was rebelling, Christ was pursuing me. And he looks at all of my, all of my sin, all of my jacked upness. He doesn't say, clean yourself up, Matt, and then you're welcome. He says, no, no, no. You are jacked up. And when you place faith in my son, what happens is I will lay all my perfection on you and I will take all of your imperfection and I will apply it to my son. And so when I look at you, I don't see Matt, the jacked up sinner. I see Matt, the covered saint. Covered by my son, Jesus. And listen, when we ponder that up, when we treasure that, don't ever let us get numb to the reality that we were bought so you want something to ignite a flame? See what I did there? Uh, in Advent, right? You want something that makes this Christmas season holly and jolly, well, well beyond the, the Christmas programs that you'll get tired of, and when the Christmas cookies get hard as a brick, right? You want something that's going to give you some joy this season? Why don't you reflect on, ponder on, treasure up the reality that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Don't ever let us get numb with that. And so right now, we're going to transition into a time of, of worship. And what we're going to do right now is we're asking you, and we're going to kind of make this a place in our services for the next several months across all three of our campuses. What we're going to do is I'll, I want to ask you, you got something you're taking notes, your phone, something like that. Pull it out and write the names of three individuals down. Three people that you know are not in a, a saving, uh, salvific relationship with Jesus. They, they, they have no faith in Christ. Write their names down. Right now, you do that. Write, write their names down. Because then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a space right here to begin to pray for them by name. And see, what happens, I think, when, that ha when we begin to pray for people by name, I believe what happens is that when we then come back into affinity with them, when we're in proximity with them, whether that be at the line at Nissan or we're, at the, you know, we're, we're, we're hunting with our buds that we know that some of them are not believers or you're hitting golf balls on the range with a group of guys or whatever, Right? Those people that are not believers, when we begin to pray for them by name, when we come back into that tight proximity with them, I think what God does is he begins to, he begins to kind of burn them on our hearts. How they put them to the forefront of our minds. And then we go back like the shepherds, not, not doing something different. They go back to what they were doing, right? It's like you guys are going back to work tomorrow. But when they went back, what did they do? They were glorifying God and making known all of these great mysteries that were brought to them. It was infectious. It was contagious. And they wanted to share. So right now, you got three names. I want to ask you to write those. And then we're going to give you a moment right now for you to spend praying over those names. And I'm going to come back and pray over us.
Would you pray that God would give them a saving faith? He would expose them. He would make known to them this great joy that is offered in Christ. Father, we love you. God, we, uh, we ask this morning that your son Jesus would be honored, that he'd be glorified, Father. And I pray that as we ponder up, as we treasure up, as we ref- reflect and remember that we were like those shepherds, estranged, separated, outcast by our sin. And in the glorious message of the gospel, that while we were separated, you made a way for us to be brought near, to be reconciled to your son. Father, I pray that uh, if anyone in the room today doesn't know that, God, if there's someone in here who's never uh, believed upon the gospel, God, they've been, they've been doing the working of, Christ, uh, of religion and they've never embraced the joy offered by Christianity, by a relationship with Christ. God, today I pray they'd stop fighting, they'd stop working, and they'd start believing upon your son Jesus to be their, right, their righteousness. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church and this body. God, I pray that you would do a work as we go out. It's your name we pray. Amen.